So we're nearing the uh, end of the section on karma. Yeah, we might even finish it today. Um, so we have the last, um, if you look on your outline, the last part of it. And that's about how to practice uh, actions and their results in general. So just some general advice about how to put into practice all the teachings we've had up till now. Okay, the, the teachings on karma. Okay, so first to try and um, continuously contemplate cause and effect in terms of our own life. In other words, to um, look at our present experience and the different things we experience day to day or year to year and to see those things in light of um, the kinds of actions that we did in previous lives that brought about that result. Okay. And then similarly, looking at our present actions and thinking about the kinds of results that they're going to bring. So this relates to uh, you know, a lot of this whole uh, subject that we just got done with when we talked about the ten destructive actions and their different results. So you can start with the results and go backwards and see what the actions are. You can start with the actions and go forwards and see what the results are. But to always think about it in terms of our own life experience. And for those of you who are, who are really keen to learn more about this subject, the one book, um, The Wheel of Sharp Weapons, is really good in this regard. It talks a lot about different aspects of cause and effect, and it's really very, very interesting. Yeah, It's called The Wheel of Sharp Weapons because it's um, they use the analogy of a forger who has made his own arrows and bow, and then wind up getting shot by them. Yeah? So in the same way that we uh, act and we put a certain energy out, we create a certain energy, then that comes back and we experience it as different events that happen in our lives. Okay, that's how the, the book got its name. And so also to generate a wish to uh, practice cause and effect by contemplating the different results of positive and negative actions. Yeah. So, um, you know, if we just listen to the teachings on karma and the ten destructive actions, then we might just start feeling, oh, yeah, 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 this is just a bunch of blah, 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 blah. Um, but, you know, if we really start looking at it in terms of our life and in terms of what specific results come from our actions and we start imagining ourselves experiencing those results and tracing those results to what we've done in our life, then it becomes very, very much alive and then it becomes something that we want to follow. So instead of Oh yeah, there, there I am. I'm engaging in the ten negative actions. I shouldn't do it. I'm not supposed to do it. I ought not to do it. I'm gonna go to hell. I'm sinful. And you know, all this kind of junk. Instead of having that attitude, um, we'll have one of, oh well, look what I'm doing. This isn't an isolated event in the, in the universe. It's going to bring certain results to myself and others later. Are these results things that, that I look forward to experiencing or not? 
And if we don't look forward to experiencing the results, then at that point we have the choice not to create the cause. And on the other hand, if we can see that the results are something that is, you know, something attractive that we would like, then we can, you know, go ahead with our decision and, and do whatever it is we're doing. So in the same way, you know, in our regular life, we always check things out before we do them. Yeah, if you're going to do a business deal, you know, you don't go just buy any any kind of stock. You kind of look at the, what the results are going to be. Or, you know, you, you just kind of don't do things haphazardly. You're always thinking of what are the benefits. So it's the same kind of way of thinking, except we're just spreading it beyond this particular lifetime. We're getting out of the rut of thinking that all I am is this body. And we're beginning to see our consciousness as a continuity coming from previous lives going to future lives. And that really birth and death are actually just major transition points, but they aren't a beginning and an end. Okay. That involves really kind of um, having a new view of how we fit into the universe. Yeah, and the results of our actions. Okay. Um, and if we, we begin to, to do this, to, to really take seriously uh, actions and their results, then we'll also stop um, justifying and rationalizing things we do. Or put it this way, we can, as long as we continue to justify and rationalize the things we do, we're going to find it very difficult to understand and live according to cause and effect. So, um, you know, the psychologists use terms like justify and rationalize a lot. You know, I mean, essentially make excuses and um, not not just simply make excuses, but to explain what we're doing in a way that makes us happy. So. Uh, the psychologist might use it in that way. Here we're going to use it the same way. Explain what we're doing in a way that makes our ego happy. In a way that, um, that gives us the, the, the logic to do whatever it is we've already decided we're going to do. Yeah? So you know, the mind that out of attachment or anger wants to do something. And then, mm, we, kind of explain it away to ourselves in terms of karma. Like, well, I really have a good motivation when I'm doing this, you know. <laughs> and it's like, you know, there's jealousy all over the place, but we're not looking at it. Or um, this is just a little negative action, you know. It's just a little, you know. Or, well, it's a big negative action, but, you know, the people I'm harming, they don't know they're getting harmed. I mean, I'm just ripping off the U.S. government. and You know, they won't know the difference. And so, you know, we rationalize, we justify. It all comes around to, to again, this thing of, you know, here am I, the center of the universe, the most important one. And I, I make up all my reasons to... Um, to fit what what I what my attachment and aversion have already decided I'm going to do. Okay. So this is a big obstacle to really understanding cause and effect. And one way to overcome it is to spend some time just thinking about our actions and the results that they bring and really making examples in our own life. And similarly looking at our present actions and seeing 
present results, experiences, and seeing what the, the causal actions were. And that helps us um, get over this um, hump of, of uh, rationalization. Yeah. Don't get mad at yourself for rationalizing. That just adds more confusion. Okay. And then uh, another thing that, that's useful to make this section on cause and effect come alive is to develop confidence in the Buddha as the true source of the teachings on this subject. In other words, this subject is something that's quite difficult to understand um, with our limited abilities. And so just as whenever we have some limitations in understanding something, we go to an expert. Here also when we have limitations in our understanding of cause and effect, we rely on the expert who is the Buddha. Okay. And so that's why, you know, all along when some of these sticky questions come up, you know, I always remind you and I remind myself what my teachers reminded me of, which was that, that actually understanding all the, the tiny microscopic deal, details and specific instances and cause and effect is much more difficult than understanding emptiness. Yeah, and so only the Buddha fully understands all the minute ramifications of any particular action. And so we do really need to rely on the Buddha's word a lot on this subject. Um, relying on the Buddha's word is something that most Westerners find difficult. Yeah, there's something in us that feels a little bit edgy about believing something because the Buddha said it, because often this reminds us of maybe our previous religious associations. However, we believe something whenever scientists say it. You know, remember when they had this new thing and they created some new source of energy? What was that out of fusion or cold fusion? Yeah, everybody said, fine, great, fantastic. It was on the newspapers. We all believed it. Didn't we? We never questioned it. We never thought the scientists made mistakes. We never thought scientists lied on their lab reports. Yeah? So we, we trust trust scientists really talk about blind faith. Yeah? We have really have lots of blind faith in science. Um, so developing some kind of conviction in the Buddha's word isn't uh, a matter of, of just developing blind faith. It's a matter of checking out the Buddha's qualities, seeing if the Buddha lies or doesn't lie, if the Buddha explains things with good motivation or bad motivation, if the Buddha has wisdom that can see things correctly or doesn't have that wisdom, you know, and if we have some kind of confidence in the Buddha's qualities, then it becomes easier to believe in the things that he's explained because we recognize that he's an expert in a certain field that we're quite ignorant of. Okay? This kind of confidence in the Buddha takes some time to develop. Okay? But um, I think it's good to kind of open our mind to to letting us have that kind of confidence rather than just kind of shutting it out. And really, it, it leads us to also question uh, why we have confidence in different things. Yeah? And our faith in science, our faith in uh, all sorts of things that we have faith in. I mean, there's so many things in this world that we take other people's word on. 
We never check their word to see if, if what they're saying is true. I mean, look, our whole education when we were kids. Did we ever doubt what we were taught when we were kids? We believed it. We still believe most of it right now. Sometimes as an adult, we might start actually questioning what our parents and teachers taught us. But often we don't. We just believe. So if we have this kind of blind belief in limited beings who aren't omniscient, why do we have real difficulty trusting the Buddha's speech when Buddha has high realization? And I'm not saying, you know, just, just believe it. But the thing is that if Buddha is an expert in this, then the different things, you know, that he said about cause and effect, we can take a little bit more seriously than if Joe Blow said them. Okay, and that, that helps us gain some conviction in it. Is that making people squirm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So when um, you're questioning, kind of that, that we get a lot of instructions from various sutras, and the sutras weren't all, uh, they didn't appear publicly all at the same time, and so the the fact that some of them appeared later, then isn't it possible that these are things that were attributed to the Buddha but not actually said by the Buddha? Okay, these teachings on cause and effect you'll find in the early sutras. Okay, the teachings on cause and effect started with the early sutras. Okay, the the texts that appeared later, the way that it's explained is that these texts were spoken by the Buddha, but um, the majority of people on the earth weren't yet ready to, they didn't have the karma, they didn't have the open-mindedness to understand them. So, I'll, so some people practice these the teachings in these texts, but they practice them in small groups, and it was passed on orally just from teacher to disciple, and never in big groups, but kept very quiet. Okay, until later on, then they became more public. Um, or it's also said that some of these texts were taken to another land and kept there in a safe place, like in a safe deposit box. You know, <laughs> the idea of going to another land is like the ancient equivalent of putting them in a safe deposit box until, again, people's minds were right to understand the teachings of those texts. Those texts that appeared later are mostly the Mahayana texts. And the Mahayana texts um, speak specifically about the emptiness of inherent existence of all, of all things, that is spoken about in the early text. It's elaborated on more completely in the later text. And also the Bodhisattva path is really spelled out. So a lot of these teachings, I think if you listen to the teachings that appear in the later text, and if you think about them, um, and if they make some sense to you, then it seems like the Buddha must have said them. And when you consider the, the teachings on the Bodhisattva practice and that aspiration to come, become enlightened for the benefit of all beings, everybody has a different mind, but for me it's like that aspiration, I can't, I mean, I can't see anything better than that. I can't see anything that's deficient in that. You know, so texts that teach that kind of thing, um, 
don't make me have doubts because it, it, it seems to me like the most noble thing that you can engage your life in. Yeah? Mm, okay. Well, when, um, we should understand that the, the, okay, you said the Buddha said he didn't hold anything back, but the Buddha didn't explain everything he know, knew. In any of, I don't care, you're talking about the early text, the later text. What's written down isn't a fraction of what the Buddha knows. Okay? So the Buddha only spelled out in the teachings what was essential for us to be able to practice. Yeah. The teachings don't, don't even attempt to fathom what the Buddha's knowledge is. Uh, well, I yeah. Think that we have 20 years or so. Yeah. I mean, His Holiness says that at the end you have to really rely on um, logic and on things that make sense, and not just on faith. And so, if things can be proven logically, you have to rely on that. Uh, and if things can be proven by your own experience, you have to rely on that. Um. For the things that we can't prove logically, and we don't have the capable capability yet of experiencing, then we have to rely on the word of somebody who knows more than we do. So, in this case, uh, you know, we may rely on scientists who tell us things we don't know. Um, if we trained in science, we could verify what the scientist said. We may have to rely on the Buddha for things we don't know, but if we practice the path, then we'll be able to verify through our own experience whether what the Buddha said is true or false. So at the end, it does come down to experience, although it may not be something we can experience right now. So I think the basic thing is to try and understand things as best as we can. Um, feel free to doubt what you doubt, and feel free to not understand what you don't understand. There's lots of things I don't understand, lots of things I doubt, and I quarrel with my teachers all the time. Um, I can't say, oh, there she comes again. Um, but, you know, we have, we have nice debates together. Uh, and so in the end, you know, it kind of comes down to each of us figuring it out ourselves. But that doesn't mean throwing something out simply because we don't understand it right now and we can't perceive it right now. Okay? I once asked Anchok Rinpoche this question about, well, how do we know that, that in the text there's no mistakes, you know, because you have certain renditions of certain texts where a particular passage may be present or absent. You know, and I said, what about the people copying it down? Isn't it possible that they made mistakes when they were writing or made mistakes when they were memorizing and passing it down? And Amshad uh, Rinpoche said, yes, I'm sure there's mistakes, and I'm sure there's translation mistakes. But we may not have the wisdom to be able to figure out just what is the mistake and what isn't right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we often use the criteria about um, if it says what I already, what feels good to my ego, and if it says what I already believe, then it's true. And if it says something that makes me feel uncomfortable, and if it says something I don't agree with, then it's obviously wrong. A very accurate standard of discrimination, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, at some point, I mean, we have to, you know, of course, 
check things out and see how they feel to us. But I think always it's good to always remember that, that our understanding is limited and leaves some space in there to, to alter our things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very true because if, when we put our mind to it, we can find fault with anything we want to. Yeah. Very true. And I think what what really helps is to always come back to the point of what is it that makes sense to us? You know, I mean, why did we get involved in this? Why are we continuing on? There's obviously something that the Buddha said that touched our heart. You know, and if you come back to that, and that major impact that the Buddha really had on your life, then, then, you know, you feel much more connected to the Buddha and it, then it, it becomes easier to hear the teachings. 